Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How we doing? We good? Everybody's good today? Hey, it feels great outside. It does not feel awesome in here. How many of you are warm right now? Yeah, so here's what we decided. We literally wanted you to know what hell felt like so that you would repent at the end of this message. And uh, we may have overcompensated. So now we're, we're going to roll it back a little bit. So, uh, hey, we're glad that you're here today. And hopefully, as the weather is turning cooler, uh, you're already thinking about turkey and Thanksgiving and Christmas. I saw my first Black Friday commercial uh, the other day on television, which kind of lets me know we're headed towards the holidays and Christmas and, you know, those kind of things. Corey and I were talking the other day. It's, since about August the 1st, anything our kids ask for, we tell them to put it on their Christmas list. They're like, we need a new toothbrush. I'm like, Christmas is coming. So, uh, you know, we're getting close and I know that's happening. But uh, as you are thinking about the end of the year plans for you and your family, uh, I did want to let you know kind of what our plans are at the end of the year as we kind of come to that. So you know we're in a, a season of transition. We are moving towards, the, we're waiting on city permits so that we can begin our construction to expand our ministry space both upstairs here and downstairs into the space, uh, the space formerly occupied by Sears. And so we'll multiply our space and create more capacity. And so hopefully soon you'll begin to see that progress. One of the first things that will happen is that that wall right there will go away and it will move all the way to this pole here. So if you're on this side of the room, you got to find a new seat in a few weeks. Uh, and so as that happens, uh, a lot of our services will be a little fuller than normal. We don't have a ton of space for more full in this service. So as you think about your plans, if you love God, you might think about 8.30 or 11.30 as an option. If you don't love God, stay in the 10 o'clock service. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, um, but that'll happen here over the next couple of weeks. And so then that will begin in earnest the, the process of creating the hallway for the elevator and staircase that will join our two levels. Uh, and so we're excited about that. But as we think about our Christmas services that are coming, uh, we are going to offer five identical Christmas services for you to choose from. So as you're already thinking about your plans, We'll have two services at 6 and 7.30 on Friday night, December the 20th, and then our three services on Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And again, you can choose however you want to choose to come, where you and your family are going to worship with us for Christmas, but that's the day school gets out on that Friday. So if you're planning to leave town, uh, we'd love to, you know, for you to hang around for a few more hours, be with us in service that Friday night before you take off. And then if there's no reason for you not to, uh, if, if you're in town the whole time and there's not a really a reason for, you know, family events or whatever, we invite you to come and join us on Friday night just to create a little more space on Sunday morning for those who would come and join us for that Christmas service. Uh, it would really help us a lot because as the capacity of the room decreases, as we anticipate our capacity increasing, we just want to make space for as many people as possible that weekend. So help us with that if you can. Um, we're going to offer some reserved seat kind of tickets free uh, as we get a little closer. I think they're available beginning December 1st, so you can choose the service and the number of seats that you're anticipating utilizing in that weekend across those five services. So we invite you to do that. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait. If you're not already a part of our capacity campaign, you've not pledged or begun to give, we invite you to do that as we're excited about making that move downstairs to create more space uh, for people to come and to know God and to find community and really to discover their purpose and make a difference on our teams and things like that. So we'd love to have you be a part of that process and that project. Uh, today, I'm really excited because we are in the middle of a series we started last week. And so right up front, let me tell you, if you missed last Sunday, I invite you to go back and listen on our podcast you can find that on our website or through whatever your favorite podcast channel is. 
to really understand what we set up as some foundational truths about forgiveness in this series on forgiven. Uh, the idea that God forgives us and when God forgives us, what that looks like and what do we need to be forgiven from, what is sin. And so we, we started by laying some foundational truths there. And so today I want to take a next step into that and really look at, okay, whether or not we are even thinking about God forgiving us, how do we forgive ourselves? Um, I, I don't want it to feel self-helpy today. I don't want it to feel like you're the center of the universe. But I do recognize that you are with you more than you are with anybody else in the world. And you are in your head thinking about things that other people don't even get access to because you may not verbalize all those things. And so some of our thoughts and, and the patterns of behavior are really centered in who we are internally. And a lot of that comes from knowing all of the mistakes that we've made. And then honestly, some of the things that aren't even mistakes because we never acted them out, not, not being able to forgive ourselves even for some of the thoughts and some of the, the, the motivations and some of those internal hidden things, like how do we unlock ourselves from some of those things? So as best I can do in the time that I have, I want to spend a little time talking about this idea of really forgiving ourselves. And, and, and as I thought about it and I was preparing for this series over the last couple of weeks in anticipation of today, um, I just was looking for what resources are available about forgiving yourselves. There are tons and tons and tons about you know, God's forgiveness and forgiving those that hurt you, but I wasn't really sure like what's out there related to forgiving yourself. So I just went to Google and I typed in forgiveness of self. And it did what it does. And in a point two seconds, you know, it said at the top that it sent back to me 29 million websites related to forgiving self. And so I love you. And so I spent time reading all 29 million websites and I didn't, uh, but not because I don't love you, but I just, I was looking at the front page there and I was seeing Psychology Today and Oprah Magazine and UC Berkeley and um, all of these various places that were giving you like five tips for, to forgive yourself and 12 reasons why you need to forgive yourself and how to get over your shame and guilt to forgive yourself and unlock joy and even these secular resources, these non-spiritual, non-faith resources, we're using some of the language that we might use in the church to say, like, if you don't forgive yourself, you're robbing yourself of so much of what God's created you for. Like, there is a heaviness that comes from carrying the weight of all of your past mistakes and all of those thoughts and all of those things that will rob you of your health physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it'll rob you of your health. And so how do we really work through those things? How do we process those things in a healthy way? What I'm not saying today, so please make sure you hear this, what I am not saying is that you should feel no remorse, no guilt, no anything, and you just kind of move past it and just be that kind of person that never feels bad for anything. You don't need to do that. We believe that there is a, a proper response to something that you've done wrong. And the slippery slope in life is when you do something that is wrong and you don't feel bad for it. When you come to that place of being desensitized to our errors and to our mistakes. And so we do need to stay sensitive to that and ask the Lord to continue to convict us and help us to feel that remorse that we have when we do things that are bad, especially if it involves someone else or, or, or is against God and his, his commands for our life. So I'm not saying that. I'm also not saying... That, you know, you should just like, well, you know, God forgive me. I forgive myself. I don't care what everybody else thinks. We shouldn't be that kind of person either. This is not about just like sticking your head in the sand and not being concerned with consequences or other relationships or the collateral damage for the mistakes that you have made in your life. You, you should be sensitive to those things as well. You are not an island unto yourself. And so your actions, your behavior, and mine have consequences. And so we should be aware of those things. And we should look to see how those things play into this process of forgiving self. 
So here's what I want you to know right up front. Last week I said, you know, if we're going to seek the forgiveness of God, we got to know there is such thing as sin, iniquity, transgression. Those were the words that we talked about last week from God's word. And so in this context of forgiving self, here's what you need to know. You are not perfect, right? I know somebody somewhere told you you probably were, but you're not. You make mistakes. Anybody ever made a mistake, right? Those that don't have their hands raised, you just lied. That was a mistake. So now you're guilty too. You can go ahead and throw that up. We're all guilty. We all have made mistakes. And here's the truth too that I just came to tell you so you feel better about yourself. You're going to make mistakes beyond today too. Like it's going to happen. And so what we want you to know is in that reality, we don't want to excuse it. We don't want to become desensitized to it. We don't want to make it okay just to be the kind of person that's constantly just, you know, leaning. Oh, I can, God's going to forgive me. I can have grace. Romans talks about that. That's not the way we should live. We should live in freedom, but we shouldn't live kind of pushing against the grace of God. We should freely receive it whenever we do make a mistake, but we do it out of the right heart. And so I just want to spend some time talking about this today. And one of the ways that I want to do that, I try to think of like, what's the best biblical example of somebody who made a mistake or made some mistakes, and how did they respond to it? How did they forgive self? How did they move past it? And there's a, a lot of different stories that we could have leaned into and looked at today. The story that I want to spend some time on is, is the guy that was the disciple. His name is Peter. And I love talking about Peter because Peter's a guy that many of us can relate to. He tended to, tend to make some mistakes. Um, he, he tended to say the wrong thing at the wrong time a lot of times. And, and so, but he was a guy that like was full of gusto. Like whatever it took, he was going to make sure he had, and he was in, and he was in the moment. Pastor Trevor preached a while back about, you know, when Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on water. That's the same guy. And Peter was a guy that, you know, he, he was a, a young man. If you go all the way back to the beginning of his story, you recognize that Peter was not, when he was called to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, he was not a guy like in his mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s. This is not a middle-aged guy. We're talking about when he was called to follow Jesus, he was a, a late teenager, perhaps, maybe 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, scholars would tell us. And so uh, most likely because of his Jewish upbringing, he would have kind of been a part of a rabbinical school or he would have followed a rabbi of that day, followed him around as, a, as an early teenager, late in childhood, learning some of the, the, the teaching of that rabbi. And, you know, that, that where it talks about take my yoke, Jesus says take my yoke. A yoke would have been the teaching of a specific rabbi. And so Peter would have tried to adopt the yoke, the teaching of that rabbi. And what we understand is that he most likely flunked out of rabbinical school. He wouldn't have been able to be one of those religious leaders of the day, because when Jesus finds him, he's not following a rabbi at that point. He's fishing, which was kind of his family business. And so Jesus shows up on the shore one day, and he calls Peter to come and follow him. And I love the illustration of how that story progresses, because he kind of gets in Peter's boat, but it's right there at the shore. And then he takes Peter out a little into a little bit deeper waters, and then he takes Peter out into very deep waters. And I just think that's a great illustration of what it looks like to follow Jesus, that we start with Jesus on the shore where we're still comfortable. We've still got kind of firm footing on the things that we thought and the things that we can think on our own. And then he pushes us out into a little bit of deeper waters, like we wade out into those things. It's like, okay, I think I understand, and I think I'm trusting, and I think I have faith in you, God, but I also have some footing here. And then he calls us out to even deeper waters that are over our head. And my prayer is always, God, lead me out into those deep waters. Lead me out into those places where I have to trust you because I can't stand on my own. And so that's really the illustration that we see here is, as Christ calls Peter to come and follow him. And so Peter's one of the disciples, and he's there for the miracles and the teaching. And so it's this incredible story. But perhaps one of the lowest moments of Peter's life is when Jesus has been arrested, and he's being led through a trial, kind of a fake trial, to get him to the cross. 
And it's in that moment, and this is not going to be on the screen, but I, I kind of added this in because I was just going to tell it, but I want to read it. This is in John chapter 18. And this is some people that are around Peter as Peter is observing what's happening from, from a distance to Jesus. This is what it says in verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked, the young girl asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Skip to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you are one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to grow. Now, as I, as I think about this story, it's a, it's a very famous passage of Scripture. Many of you are probably familiar with it, even if you're not like a Bible person or a church person. This is a story that is illustrated in a very creative way. They, they took some creative liberties when they were making the movie The Passion of the Christ, where Jesus is carrying his cross, and he falls under the weight of the cross. And as he's there picking himself up off the ground, he turns his head, and through the crowd, he sees Peter right after Peter has denied Jesus, and they lock eyes. Now, as you actually read the gospel account, it, it seems that the writers of the movie, the producers of the movie, took a little creative liberty because the timeline doesn't sync up exactly like that. But still the idea that Peter, one of those followers of Jesus Christ who had spent three years with him, had seen the miracles, heard the teaching, been with him in those high moments, who had seen Jesus walking on the water in the, in the dark of night and said, Lord, if it's you, call me to come. And Jesus says, well, come. And he hops out of the boat and he walks on the water. The miraculous faith of Peter. And Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And Peter, under the power of God, says, some say you're the, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he says, yeah, my father in heaven gave you those words, Peter. Same guy. In the movie, we see locking eyes with Jesus, but in the gospel account, we see him out on the fringes of the scenes of the arrest and the trial of Jesus. And a young girl says, aren't, aren't you one of them? He's like, no, no. And another guy says, no, I think, I think you're, you're one of the disciples. You're one of the followers of Jesus. He's like, I am not. One of the gospel accounts says that he curses. He swears. I swear it. I am not. And then in this account, I love that it says it's one of the relatives of the guy who Peter cut his ear off. He's like, weren't you with them in the garden? Like, weren't you the guy that took the sword? I think there's blood splatter on your arm. Weren't you the guy that cut off his ear? He's like, no, it's not me. And all of a sudden, as soon as he says it's not me, the rooster begins to crow. It's like, well, why is that important? Well, because this is what Jesus said would happen. And there's this incredible story, and we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, about what Peter does after this moment. But think about standing in that moment, being Peter. You've been so afraid that if you said, yeah, I'm one of them, they would arrest you too. You, you've been so uncertain even how to, you thought you were the guy to defend Jesus. You cut the guy's ear off, and Jesus just picked the ear up and put it back on. So now you're confused. You don't even know how to protect and defend the teacher. And you think back, oh, man, this is what he said I would do. This is what he said I would do. I think perhaps the most angry my teenage children get is when they do something that I knew they were going to do, and I told them, don't do that. And then they do it, and I'm like, I told you so. And they're like, no, I didn't. I didn't. You ever been like that? Maybe not just as a teenager, maybe as an adult. Some of us were like, oh, my boss said I was going to do this. My parents, my spouse, my... I knew in my mind this is what I was going to do. Maybe it was betrayal like Peter. Maybe it was 
saying hurtful words, causing physical harm, breaking a trust. I don't know what that mistake or those mistakes have been for you, but you're in that moment and you know what guilt feels like. You know like, oh, man. If you go all the way back to where Jesus said this was going to happen, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is talking here. And this is what he says beginning in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, this is Simon Peter, Peter's name. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Leave that up there for just a second if you would, guys. We get a lot of publicity on this last line. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is Jesus prophesying, foretelling, telling in advance what Peter would do, right? And that's exactly what happens. So Jesus told Peter, you're going to fail. I don't care that you just promised me you'd go to prison and death. When a little girl asks you, you're going to be so afraid, you're going to completely deny that you even know me. Like, you're going to fail. He predicted Peter's failure. But what I love that is hidden in the middle of this passage is that Jesus also gave him hope that his failure was not final. Look at this in the middle. He says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The, the phrase there in the Greek for turn back is actually the same as the word repentance. We talked a little bit about repentance last week, but if we're talking about which way is my arrow pointed, if my arrow is pointed in the direction of God and away from those things that are evil, Jesus is saying, listen, I know you're actually going to turn away from me. You're going to claim that you don't even know me. You're going to claim that I have no part of your life and you have no part of mine. But when you repent, when you turn back to me, strengthen your brothers. Your failure, Peter, will not be final. I have a purpose for you after the pain. I have a mission for you after your mistake. So when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Now, when I read that, and I don't know, maybe I'm the only person that reads the Bible this way. Probably so, okay? But I read the Bible like, what would I have said if I were Jesus? I don't have a God complex. I'm just thinking through that process of like, if I were Jesus, what would I have said? I would have said, Peter, you're, you're going to fail. You're going to blow it. I don't care. You're prison. You're, you're a liar. Like, you're going to fail. You're going to miss it. But when you turn back, do better. When you turn back, make better decisions. When you repent, like, get it right more than you get it right now. But that's not what he said. He says, when you turn back to me, use what you learn to help somebody else. Strengthen your brothers. Not only did Jesus predict Peter's failures, he also predicted the chaos and disorientation that the people that were closest to Jesus would feel in the days that followed the arrest, the, the death, and even the resurrection of Jesus. And so he's like, listen, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. We think God is done with us when we mess up. Instead, God has already made plans to redeem us for more. Like, he has a purpose for us. And so the question becomes, like, what have I done? What have I walked through? What have I experienced that I would allow God to redeem for greater purposes? Like, what would I give God and go, God, I made a mistake. 
can you use this, even the mistake? Like, we want to say, God, use the gifts that you've placed in me. Use the strengths that you've given to me, however small they may be. Like, whatever it is that you've gifted me for, like, I give them to you. Do something special with it. I can write, I can sing, I'm friendly, whatever, I'm organized, I've got the gift of hospitality, whatever that is, like, God, would you use this? We often don't think that God can also do the same with our mistakes. Like, God, I blew it. God, I made an incredible mistake. I did something so terrible. You forgave me. I've repented and turned away from that towards you. Can you take something that is broken and make it whole? Can you use this like part of my story and actually help other people strengthen my brothers and sisters and my family and my friends and my church and my life group and my serving team? Like, can you, can you do something with the mess of my life? That's so much a part of what Jesus was saying to Peter even before he messed up. So the question today for all of us is what do we have in our past, those mistakes that we've made, that God could use to help others? So what does Peter do next? So Peter denies Jesus, and then after he denies Jesus, Jesus is killed, he goes to the, the tomb, he's laid in the tomb, he's resurrected, there is chaos among the followers of Jesus. They assume that if they arrested Jesus, they're coming for them next, they lock themselves in the house. And Jesus appears to them, and so they begin to have their faith grow and strengthened. And so now the disciples are trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do next? Like, Jesus would just show up, hang out with them for a few hours, and then he'd leave, and he'd go hang out with other people. And so they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And so Peter's the guy with the plan. Peter's like, let's go fishing. Well, that's what Peter knew. That's who Peter had been before Jesus and so he goes to fish, and he brings the disciples with him, and, and they go and fish, and they see the miraculous of God as Jesus calls out to them and says, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they were like, well, we've already tried that. We've been out here all night. He's like, yeah, but like, you know, I just raised from the dead. Could you just give me the benefit of the doubt that I know what I'm talking about? And they're like, oh, that's right. You are that guy. Okay, yeah, okay. They throw the nets on the other side, and the catch is so much that it begins to rip the nets. Peter sees that it's Jesus, and he takes off swimming. Gets to Jesus, they have this incredible meal. Depending on how descriptive your translation is, it was broiled fish, okay? So they have a great meal together. And then Jesus ascends back to the Father eventually. And now it's like, okay, what do they do next? Well, then Peter goes with the others, and they go to the upper room, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes and descends on them, and they receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, and they spill out of the upper room into the streets, and when they do... God supernaturally uses Peter to proclaim the gospel message. This guy that was too afraid to admit to a little girl that he knew Jesus stands in the middle of the streets of Jerusalem and says, let me tell you about the saving grace of God. Let me tell you that all of you are not too far gone and that God desires that all should be saved. And he lays out the plan of salvation and 3,000 are saved and added to the church that day because of a guy that used to be afraid. Because God had a purpose beyond his pain. He had a mission beyond his mistake. There was something that God desired to do in and through him. And so how do you get to that place? How do you and I get to that place where we are not defined by the greatest mistakes of our life? How do we forgive ourselves? How do we move beyond it? Look at this truth in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. 
It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Again, leave this up here for just a second, guys. The idea, therefore, the word therefore, anytime you see it, I'm not an English teacher, but you understand. Therefore, in response to what happened before, in response to who you were, Romans chapter 7 and some of the preceding verses and chapters talk about the law and the heaviness of the law and the requirement of sacrifice and the requirement of grace. And so, therefore, because Jesus is enough, there is now. No condemnation. Again, that word condemnation in the original language there has to do with like a guilty verdict. You're standing trial. And you have been found guilty. They're like, you did it. We've got a video camera of you running the red light. Like, you can't get out of this one. There are eyewitnesses that account for your guilt. Like, maybe you just said, I'm guilty. You confessed. I don't know. But even with your guilty verdict, you aren't held accountable for that punishment Because Christ already paid the price. It's what we talked about last week. So therefore, in response to Jesus Christ, there is now no more payment needed, no more guilt on you for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, and Romans unpacks this in a lot of different ways across across a couple of different chapters. The law of sin and death is heavy. You cannot be saved through the law. You cannot be saved through the law alone. And so there is a need for another way of atonement, and that's the purpose of Jesus Christ. And so now what Christ does is he sets you free from the heaviness of the law through which you cannot be saved, and he gives you new life. And so while you should feel your guilt, I told you, you should never get to the place where you're so desensitized you don't recognize that you are guilty. I am guilty. There is a difference in guilt and shame. Guilt says to me and about me, I've done something bad. Shame says I am something bad. That's not true. Because for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are joint heirs with Jesus, sons and daughters of God, created in the image of God. Guilt which is rightfully mine, rightfully yours, says, I have done something bad. But shame lies to you and says that you are something bad. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we use the spirit of life that's available to us to be set free from the spirit of the law of sin and death, that heaviness that exists there. Guilt should compel us to seek forgiveness. When we recognize our guilt, we recognize our need to be set free. But shame, it causes us just to wallow in our mistakes. I am something bad. It is my identity. It is my character. I can't get past it. And so here's three truths, I believe, for all of us today. What happens when you don't forgive yourself? I think when you don't forgive yourself... What happens is that you miss the freedom that comes from God. We just read it, that through Christ Jesus, we are set free. But so many of us are not living free because we refuse to receive the forgiveness of God and then use that forgiveness of God to forgive ourselves. And so we carry with us a heaviness and a burden, and we live lives imprisoned in our shame 
and we don't experience the full freedom that comes from God. The second thing that happens when we don't forgive ourselves is that we miss our future because of our past. The illustration that I heard as a young boy is that in a car, the front windshield is so much bigger than the rearview mirror. And yet so many of us have our eyes locked on the rearview mirror, focusing on the things behind us rather than focusing on the things that are before us. We're missing the future that God has called us to and destined us for because we are so locked in on all the things that we did back there. And so we miss our future because of our past. The third thing that happens when we don't forgive ourselves is we carry something that wasn't meant for us. Jesus said in the Gospels, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. One of those heavy things that we carry unnecessarily is the heaviness of shame that we weren't intended and meant to carry. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We release ourselves because God has released us of the shame that we're trying to hold on to and that the enemy's trying to remind us of and bring up time and time and time again into our minds and our remembrances. And every time we get into a relationship, we think we're going to repeat the same patterns of the broken relationships in our past. And every time something gets, you know, we come into a situation, we're reminded of those things that were behind us and we go, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll do the same thing. And we carry something that wasn't intended for us. And so I want to just spend the last minutes that we have together to help us learn how to forgive ourselves. How do we forgive ourselves? Maybe you jot these down, put these in your phone. Five quick things that I think are important for all of us. The first thing you gotta do is you gotta take responsibility. You gotta take responsibility. You've gotta recognize your guilt. You've gotta recognize. I've gotta recognize. I did something wrong. I have to take responsibility for that. I can't try to transfer responsibility. That's exactly the pattern we see of human behavior that started with Adam and Eve. God shows up, and he says, where are you? And they were hiding because of their shame. And so he says, hey, what did you do, and what does Adam do? Adam's like, she made me do it. He doesn't take responsibility. God says, okay, Eve, is that true? She's like, the snake made me do it. She doesn't take, take responsibility. There's a passing the buck here that says, I'm not ultimately responsible it's what happened to me. It's, a, it's the circumstances of my life and the narrative of my life. And it's these other people's faults. And No, no, no. If you want to set yourself free and you want to truly receive the forgiveness of God, you've got to take responsibility. And a lesson that I learned a long time ago that I use in premarital counseling sessions and postmarital counseling sessions and talking to folks and giving them advice and trying to apply it in my own life every single time is that even if I'm only 2% responsible for what's happened, I am 100% responsible for my 2%. You understand? Like, whatever part is mine, I've got to own that completely. And I can't keep passing the buck to somebody else. Well, she said this. He said this. They did this. I've got to take responsibility for what is mine. That's the first step. And if you avoid that step, you will not get free. Not fully. You've got to take responsibility. The second thing that you've got to do is you've got to ask God to forgive you. You've got to ask God to forgive you. You're like, well, I thought this was about me forgiving myself. It is. But you've got to make sure that you have brought this to God first. Prayer and seeking forgiveness should not be a last resort. It should be a first response. We come to God immediately. As soon as we recognize our guilt and we take responsibility for it, we say, God, I'm sorry. I've made a mistake. Please forgive me. And here's what the Bible tells us. We talked about it last week. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us immediately. He forgives us. And then he works out that process of purifying us of all unrighteousness, 
Go back and listen to the podcast. I don't want to re-preach that. But like, there's this amazing truth where he, he forgives us when we confess. And so we take it to God. And we say, God, please forgive me. And then the third thing that we do is we attempt to make it right. We attempt to make it right. I believe this is a part of that purifying me of all unrighteousness. Here's what you need to know today. God will forgive you. For sure. But that doesn't get you out of the consequences. If I kill a guy and immediately say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I believe God will forgive me. But I'm going to prison, y'all. There is a consequence for my mistakes. And so you can't just walk around going, God, forgive me. I forgive myself. I don't care about the rest of y'all. If you do something, you may have to pay the price in relationship. They may not forgive you as quickly as you forgave yourself. You may have to rebuild some trust. And that doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes a lot of nights and a lot of weeks and a lot of months of just doing what you said you were going to do and showing up where you said you were going to show up and being honest even in the little things that don't seem to matter so they know you're honest in the big things that absolutely do matter. It just takes some time. And you just got to keep making it right. And you got to say, I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Where possible, I want to make amends. I want to make this right to you as best I can. And then you got to learn from your mistakes. If you don't learn from your mistakes, you're going to keep doing the same things over and over and over and over and over. And so we say, why do I lose my temper so much? Why do I get to a place where I allow myself to think that the only thing that will get me through this night is alcohol? And so I just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink until I can't remember it for a little while. But then I wake up tomorrow and I remember it again. Why? Why, why do I lie about little dumb stuff? It doesn't matter. Why, why do I... And so we go and try to identify the trigger, that thing on the front end, that thing that, like, we didn't even realize that's what caused it. But there's that moment of decision, and the sin nature, the sin flesh, the law of sin and death would cause us to go, this is how I would respond. And we have to take the law of Christ Jesus and, and die to self and pick up our cross and say, no, 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 that's, that's not what the character of Christ would respond like. And so no, I'm just, I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to learn from my past mistakes. I don't want to have to go back and rebuild trust for months and months and months. So I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to lean into the awkwardness. I'm going to recognize that this may be hurtful for a moment, but it's actually going to be healing over the life of our relationship. And so I'm going to just, I'm going to learn from my past mistakes. And then the fifth thing, I'm going to move on. If I've done all these other things, then I, I, I've got to give myself permission to take a step into the future that God's calling me to. The problem is when we get these things out of order. We go, oh, I made a mistake. I'm moving on. It's a great country song. It's terrible life skills. You, you can't move on until you've taken responsibility and taken it to God and gone to the other person 
and tried to learn what you could. And then you can say, okay, I want to I let go of what's behind me. And I want to press on towards the future and the calling and the destiny that God has for me, for my tomorrows and my next days and my next weeks and my next month. I'm going to move on. And if you just can't get there, if you just can't figure out how to take that step and move beyond it, think about it this way. What we said last week and what I've said a few times today is that when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. And so when you refuse to forgive yourself, you are holding yourself to a higher standard than God holds you to. Like once, once you've confessed and you've tried to make it right and you've tried to learn from it and God forgives you, but you won't forgive yourself, you're saying, God, I know. I know you say forgiveness is enough and I know that you say Jesus is enough, but it's not for me. You actually, you actually say to God, I know more than you know, God. I know better than you know, God. I'm smarter than you. I, I. God sets us free. So why do we keep ourselves locked up in prison when he's already handed you the key? He's already handed you the key. He's already says, you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. You are forgiven. Chase after the calling and the purpose and the destiny that I've given to you for your future. And you're like, no, no, no. I don't need this key. I'm just going to hang here for a while. I'm just going to look in my past and hang out with the mistakes that I've made and wallow in shame and pity and self-doubt and agonize over it over and over and over and just stay here. He's like, no, 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 I'm calling you to more. You're like, no. I got this. I know you give me freedom, but I'm just going to stay here in prison. Stop it. Stop it. Forgive your and ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. If you would say, Jeremy, for me, I need to ask God to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life beginning today. I want to change my eternity forever right now. I don't want to let another moment, another second, another service, another day pass me by. I want to make things right with God right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can put them right back down. Now, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I believe God can forgive sins, but for whatever reason, I can't forgive myself. And I'm asking God now to help me to forgive me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. So many hands all day long. God, we love you today. We never take these moments for granted. Thank you for who you are and thank you for what you do, God. 
thank you that you forgive sins. Thank you that you become the Lord of our lives and you change our eternity. And so, God, we celebrate with heaven now for those who have made that eternal decision. And, God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands to ask you to help them forgive themselves. You've given them the key. If it's not a salvation issue and they've already asked you for forgiveness, God, you've already handed them the key. It is Christ Jesus. It is the cross of Christ. It is the blood that was already shed. And so, God, help us to take the key and experience freedom that comes from you. Help us to unlock ourselves by forgiving ourselves of those things which you've already forgiven us for. Let us make it right, go back where we need to, make amends. But God, let us trust you more than we ever have before. And as we do, would you unlock our future before us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.